<clears throat> if you have your word with you today, if you can open up to Isaiah, or Yeshiahu, God is salvation, right? Yep. Yeshiahu. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 9, 6, the prophet. Uh, and so, hmm, the culture of government, right, our culture series, we have this one and then also next week, or in two weeks rather, which will be on uh, the culture of family. And that'll be it on the uh, cultural series. Uh, it's been a cool series. I've been liking it. All right. It's good. Thanks, Josh. Um, you see how it works? You know, I speak and see life into you. You speak life into me. I love it. That's, that's the kingdom right there. Um, but um, look, I'm going to be real with you. Uh, preparing for this, I was like, oh, man, what did I bite off? What did I, what did I, what did I endeavor in? Uh, and there's, uh, you know, there's, today is going to be um, not heavy. Not even difficult, but there are sensitive topics, right? It isn't a heavy word. It's actually, you know, I believe an uplifting word, but it is a sensitive topic. So I'm going to ask us all to be able to be mature believers and mature brothers and sisters. There's two things that I need you to be able to do. One, don't shut down what is being said to you, uh, but fulfill the call of last week. Be a Berean. Study and show yourselves approved and come back to me in love and say, hey, brother, well, what about this and the other thing? The second thing is I'm going to show you some maybe sensitive pictures and I'm going to ask you as a brother and as a pastor to just refrain from uh, any comments. And you're like, oh, yeah, that person. Oh, yeah, that person. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to just govern here in order and allow all of us to process things. Because here's the reality. Uh, Maybe the first sensitive thing of today I know for a fact that this congregation comes from mixed or diverse political backgrounds. Okay? Now, you're not really allowed to talk about politics and who to vote for because of the Johnson Amendment in 1952. It's illegal for a pastor to tell you who to vote for, or you get your tax exemption status taken away. So, pastors haven't been able to really preach on that since the 50s. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for because, I don't know, I believe in the sanctity of the pulpit a little too much. Um, and I also believe in free will a little too much. Um, so I wouldn't do it anyway. And I'm not, that's not the point of today's message. Um, it's more on, all right, what is the culture of government in the Lord's eyes? So let's open up to Isaiah 9, verse 6. Very famous. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. The government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, the throne of David, and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen? Amen. So, yeah, like I said, uh, we're going to just get into some sensitive things, so we're just going to start. Now, it's right to make comment, but we just don't know what you're making comment on. Now, I want you to do something right now. This is the white elephant in the room, and I love talking about the white elephant in the room. The obvious things, right, which we don't want to talk about. Think about, you know, the, don't, like, say it out loud, but think about the emotion, the feelings, what rises up inside of you when you see one of these two people. And for those of you that are listening via the computer sometime this week, we have a picture of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. 
Now, if your emotion, if your thoughts, if your feelings have risen with a little too much fervency inside of yourself, I would argue scripturally by the words of Jesus that you may have put a little too much faith on the spirit of the world, the kingdom of the world, and not on the kingdom of Jesus. So just let that sink. I mean, I don't know, but what did you feel right there? And that may have a telling of your view on the culture of heaven versus the culture of earth. To teach on the government of heaven, uh, we first need to look to earthly government to gain a little bit of an understanding. So today, it's going to be a, lot, a little less preachy, uh, and it's going to be a little bit more teaching. Scripture's talk about, right, there's time to exhort, there's times to encourage, there's times to pastor, there's times to preach, and there's times to teach. A lot of times, depending on what kind of church you go to, one of those will fall away. And so today is going to be a little bit more of education. And I have to give you a background in order to get to what the scriptures are saying. I have to go back and we have to talk about how we got to the place that we're on today. And the place where we are today in America is somehow, when you see this picture, for some reason, something riles up inside of us. And we have to talk about how we got there. How did we get there in order to then dissemble it, or disassemble it, okay? So uh, bear with me a little bit. This is going to be a little bit of a history class for part of the sermon, but you know, I think we need this education because y- you can't come up with a solution unless you know how the problem got there, right? Amen. The only way you can solve a problem is if you know how the problem was made, Amen. right? So, all right, so there, these are some governmental systems, okay? You have uh, anarchy, which is complete lawlessness. There is no law. You do whatever you want. You can kill someone. You can take what they have. And there's no law that governs. The next one, which uh, actually a lot of Americans think that we uh, live in, is a democracy, or rather a pure democracy. In fact, the matter is we do not live in a pure democracy. A pure democracy is what the Greeks had. And that is if 51% or more people agree on an issue, it's done. Should we go to war in Iraq? All right, let's get 51% or rather get all voting Americans to vote. And if, you know, say there's 200 million Americans that are eligible to vote, we'll say that 100 million and one say we are to go to war, not go to war, and then it would be done. That's a pure democracy. Democracy is your opinions are what rule. And that would mean we could say, hey, all the blue-eyed people in America vote to say that we're going to make all the brown-eyed people be our slaves or to give us all they have, or to be our workers, or to whatever, that would be perfectly legal in a democracy. So you don't live in a democracy, really. We're going to jump over to question mark, we're going to go to the next one, socialism, which is always an interesting one, especially in the modern era, because it's popped its head as a popular thing. Socialism is essentially when the government interferes with a majority of your personal decision-making. That could be uh, economically, so increasing in taxes to a point where they have more control over your money than you actually do. Uh, Or they have an amazing amount of control on your personal decision-making than we may be accustomed to. Um, That's the way it works. It's essentially 
you know, for the good of the whole opposed to the good of an individual. You give up your individual freedom and right for the goodness of all. It may sound beautiful, but when you have evil men who do it, it gives birth to places like Venezuela, places like Cuba, places like Colombia right now, places like China where Mao Zedong kills about uh, almost 200 million people, uh, places like uh, USSR where Joseph Stalin kills 20 million people. Uh, that is socialism on a step to communism. It's not full-blown communism, but it's the way to get there where you're giving up a lot of your control and decision-making to the state. Uh, autocracy is going to be pretty much like a king. When one person rules, they make all the decision-making. Okay? And so now we get to the question mark. Does anyone know which governmental system we reside in? And that you can, you can answer if you, if you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. We live in a constitutional republic with strong foundations in democracy. That's technically what we have. Now, here's a little bit of a story. This is a beautiful thing. When the founding fathers in Philadelphia are coming together and convening uh, to figure out what kind of government we're going to have, people didn't know. They didn't know. They thought actually what would happen is all the founding fathers would rule as some kind of elite group. Like, are they going to give us that? And the old story is Ben Franklin leaves uh, Independence Hall. It's so hot that they have all the windows shut so that people don't hear what they're talking about. And he comes out into the, uh, Philadelphia, and he's walking down the street, and the story goes, a little old lady goes up to Ben Franklin and says, so which type of government have you given us? And in a very Franklin-esque way, he says, a republic, my dear, if you can keep it. Because what happens here is with a republic, there's always a tension to be moved into a direction. Uh, we have a tension sometimes right now to be moving maybe into a little bit more socialism, a little bit more into pure democracy. The amount of times I hear people say, we should just do X because that's what the majority of Americans want. I'm like, oh, that's not how a republic works. You know, if 51% of Americans want homosexual unions to be allowed, or if 51% of Americans want us to have 100% taxation or whatever it may be, that's not how it works. Because there's problems with it. And it's a beautiful thing, actually, uh, because John Adams, one of our founding fathers, put it this way. What is a republic? A republic is a government of laws and not of men. This is the beauty of America. See, the founding fathers knew this understanding. Man's heart is deceitful above all things. And if you allow man's heart to only govern, it is a matter of time until the government and the state becomes corrupt. So the law is the constant. All things are compared to the law. So if we have a decision that we want to make, because most Americans think it's a good idea right now, it must always go back to the law. And the law is going to determine if what people want is correct or incorrect. It's a beautiful thing. And so, you know, we, uh, we asked this kind of question, uh, or people, uh, maybe it's not something that you guys discuss, but uh, people discuss all the time uh, in my circle, like, you know, what, what, was Jesus a Republican? Was Jesus a Democrat? Was Je Jesus a Socialist? Have you guys you ever, ever hear that argument? Yeah. And so let me just clarify some things here. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 45, it says that the believers sold all of their belongings. Sold all of their possessions and gave it to one another as needed. Wow, at, at face value, that's, that's, well, that's kind of like socialism. Right? Uh, but Jesus was not a socialist, and I'll tell you why. Socialism 
is by government decree, government decrees by force. If I don't pay my taxes, what happens to me? I go to jail. If I refuse jail, what would they do? They handcuff me. If I refuse being handcuffed, they're gonna, they're gonna they're gonna stun me or something, right? I mean, it's in a theoretical universe, but if you follow that processing, it ultimately comes down to force. You must obey. Now, the way that Jesus works is he wants your actions to come out of the fullness of love and not out of compulsion or force. So if you want to sell all of your possessions because you're just like crazy radical and you just love people so much that that's what you want to do, awesome. But don't tell me I have to do it because Jesus didn't say you have to do it. It's, Jesus is not a man of force. You have to willingly want to come and do things. So Jesus was not a socialist because socialism must be used by force. You do not have an option. So in a republic, you can be socialist if you want to. In a socialist state, you can't be anything but socialist. What's the spiritual application? You're like, what the heck's going on? Here it is. If you come to faith through fear, hell's fire, fire and brimstone, or if you make any action, whether it's tithing or coming to church or doing anything out of fear, then therefore you must apparently serve a tyrant. But God is not a tyrant. God, he is a lover. He is a lover who gives you the freedom to choose to serve him. The freedom to choose to aid the poor. The freedom if you want to take care of the widow and the orphan. Which as it says in scripture, this is pure religion. Undefiled religion is this. Take care of the orphan and the widow. It's the last time you took care of an orphan. The last time you took care of a widow. Mm. Right? That is pure religion. It's a beautiful thing. But we get to do it in choice because he's a lover. He's not a tyrant. That's good, right? All right, good. Not too sensitive. We got through most of the sensitive stuff. But that's actually not true. But okay. All right, so some Christian issues relating to politics and how we got to where we are. This is what I'm trying to do here. Uh, the famous thing here, Thomas Jefferson, uh, erecting the wall of separation between church and state is absolutely essential in a free society. Uh, the separation of church and state is not found in the Constitution. It says you shall make no law promoting a religion. But that phrase right there is actually a largely taken out of context by Christians. Um, it was actually a response by Thomas Jefferson to Baptists that moved into Virginia. Baptists moved to Virginia, and here's the problem. Virginia at that time was mostly Episcopalian, which is like one step below Catholicism in terms of the hierarchy of, of, of doing things. Thomas Jefferson is the governor of Virginia at the time, uh, and these Baptists move in, and they're freaking out. Like, do we as Baptists, are we going to be free? Are we going to be safe here in Virginia amongst a whole bunch of Episcopalians? This is, this is a question between two churches, brothers in the faith. Do we have to be Episcopalian if we live in Virginia? Will you allow us as Baptists to be free in Virginia? And so the concern here is it's so taken out of context by people. So people are like, oh yeah, we said this because we don't want the church to impact the state. We don't want churches telling the government what to do and how to do it. 
That's not the intent of this. The intent of this is actually so that the state does not tell who what to do. Church. That's the original context of it. And Jefferson says, absolutely. There is no way that the state will tell the church how to live. And so much so that one Christian, an Episcopalian, is not going to be able to tell a Baptist how to live their life. Equal right under the law. Okay? And so that's what's really going on here. Now, this is really kind of crazy because the founding fathers, they, they understand what's been going on in Europe. And this is, this is quintessential to our understanding today. There were governments in Europe that had a commingling between religion and politics. In Europe, to this day, the clergy gets paid by the government. If you're an Anglican priest, not if you're a Pentecostal pastor, but if you're an Anglican priest in England, you get your paycheck from the Queen, from, the, from, from Parliament. They have state-run churches to this day. It's a government job. Okay? And so what was happening is back in Europe, you had the commingling between religion and politics, and you had, yes, Christians that came, came into government, and those governments turned Christian and became a mess. For 100 years, Catholics and Protestants were literally killing each other and burning each other at the stake in Europe. For 100 years. It's known as the 100 Years War. Look it up on Google if you don't believe me. But I teach history, so I kind of know this stuff. A 100-year war between Protestants and Catholics burning each other at the stake because their governments say, Catholicism is the only way you Protestants must die. And then a Protestant country like England says, well, no, Protestantism is the way to go, and any Catholics here should die. That's what happens when supposed Christians change their government to make it a Christian religion opposed to a republic under law where all rights are governed equally. There's a big difference. It got so bad that in, in Germany, it was a Protestant nation, and the Lutherans are like, Lutheranism is the only way. And the Anabaptists, who are going up against Lutheranism, saying, no, in Anabaptists, we believe that you need to be baptized when you're an adult, not as a baby. And the Lutherans are saying, no, you do it as a baby. And the Anabaptists are like, no, you do it when you're an adult. All right, Anabaptists, you must die. <laughs> Guys, most Germans, the Pennsylvania Deutsch out in central PA, like, none of them are Lutheran. They're all Anabaptists. Where the Amish come from, that's where the Mennonites come from, that's where the Brethren come from, the Brethren Church. They're all Anabaptists. I mean, in many regards, Pentecostalism is, is, is an extension of that. But Protestants were going and killing Protestants. This is how crazy this got. Hence, John Adams says it's a government of laws that protect your rights before your creator. Right? We hold these truths to be self-evident, as, as Jefferson said. Right? That all men are created equal, that they're, that they're endowed by their creator with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Free will to make your own decisions. That's Jefferson. Adams is saying a republic is by law, not by your own religious opinions. And then Jefferson again says this is why we need to have a separation. Because it gets mad, bad. Okay? So you, just to kind of see this, you guys, is this somewhat interesting? You sure? Dan the man. Happy birthday, Dan. As we say in the Holy Land, Yom Huledet Semeach. Happy birthday. Alright, so you can kind of see how this thing goes array and how it goes wacky. The curse of Ham. Genesis 9 
verses 20 to 27, it says that Ham sinned against his father Noah. And the other two brothers, Japheth and Seth, or Shem rather, I was looking at Alan when I said it, uh, did what was right before Noah. And because Ham disobeyed Noah and did bad things, Ham must now serve his brother Japheth and his brother Shem. Now here's a bit of the story. Japheth is believed are the, is the father of all Europeans. That's the, 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 if you watch where he went and settled. Uh, Shem is the father of all Semitic peoples. That would be Jewish and Arab. And Ham, it says in the scripture, had darker skin. That right there is when a supposed Christian government interprets a Bible in the way that they feel is fit and will now justify slavery of black people for 400 years using the Bible. This is my concern. Do you want a Christian government? Well, which Christianity? Whose interpretation? Now, I'm all about praying for the government, making righteous decisions and morality, but we have to be careful what we do here. Southern, born-again Christians for 400 years legitimized slavery because they interpret Genesis 9 that way. And the northern Christians are like, well, what about other scripture verses, right? And there's all this fighting that goes on. But the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery. 14th Amendment, anyone who is born in the United States is a citizen of the United States. The 15th Amendment, if you are a citizen, you have the right to vote. Uh, then it takes 100 years after that to get the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which states you are not allowed to discriminate against anyone based upon skin tone, ethnic origin, or national identity and religion. Because law is law, a man's opinion is fleeting, especially when you have evil-hearted men. And that is what's made this country so amazing, that we allow law to govern and not your opinion. It's not how you feel. It's about what the law has stated. And this is a very, very important thing uh, when we get into some of, of, of our modern-day things. So since 1865, essentially what's been going on here is Americans have largely learned the lesson. 1865, pretty much you have the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments. Since 1865, Americans have learned a lesson. All right, we're not going to allow politics and religion to get too intermingled because the end effect is like 100 years war, 400 years of people in slavery. It's probably not a good thing. And so what happens here is they pretty much said, you know, we're, we're going to keep religion out of this process the best we can. And then something changed. Uh, 1976, on the left, you have Jimmy Carter, born-again Christian, pastor, Democrat. On the right, you have Ronald Reagan, a quasi-Episcopalian, whose wife, Nancy Reagan, invited sorcerers and mediums into the White House. Who would Jesus vote for? I don't want the answer. But what has happened is you're this. Jimmy Carter's experience in 1976 is politically was so bad. So bad. So bad. And something happened. Reagan crushes Carter. It's one of the worst spreads in election history. 
Reagan takes every single state but three. Jimmy Carter is like completely abolished. It is like so bad. And so what's going on here? Well, what has happened here was this. In the 60s and 70s, America started to change. 1972, Roe v. Wade, right? Abortion is made legal. Uh, we have divorce rates that skyrocket in the country. We have births out of wedlock skyrocket in the country. Essentially what happens here is this. Christians begin to take seriously social platforms and social policies since society has drastically changed in the 1960s and 70s. Before 1980, yes, you can be a born-again, spirit-filled believer and vote for a Democrat. I know it's kind of a joke, but like most of us that are in, have been in the church, it's like, well, if you're born again, you're going to vote for a Republican, aren't you? Well, before 1980, that's not even a conversation. You vote for who you think is going to be best. And then essentially what happened here is once abortion was made legal and once the Republican Party started to articulate that the Republican Party doesn't want to adhere to that Roe v. Wade, all the Christians started to go to the Republican Party. It happened in 1980 because of these social changes. And at that point in the 1980 election, politics became religious. It's only 38 years old, 37 years old, this real paradigm. This hypertension. Now, fine. Today, we have something interesting going on. We have given the government unprecedented power to legislate morality in this country. Like, they're the ones who determine what is right and what is wrong. Morally speaking. Right? Abortion, non-abortion. Um, there's a whole gamut of things. I mean, that's just the one that's... Homosexual marriages, right? They're, they're the ones who are the lawgivers to say what is right and what is wrong now. And that was fine. That was fine when the country, essentially when the country had Christian morals. It's totally cool if, if society has Christian morals and we want our government to legislate those Christian morals. It's beautiful. It's great. But here's the problem. We gave the government such unprecedented power. Now we don't really live in a Christian moral country and they still have that power to do what? To legislate the morality. It was fine in 1980, and the government is bestowing Christian morals, but now it doesn't really bestow Christian morals. But yet it still has the power to legislate. Example, some of you weren't here at this point, but years ago, we had a Hope Center down in the basement. We got funding from the feds to do GEDs and tutoring and a little daycare and all this kind of money was coming in from the government. Uh, they stated if a church or any nonprofit uh, does not allow for homosexuals essentially to be married in the church if that is an act of discrimination and if you are doing that we are pulling our funding. So we don't have a tutor center downstairs anymore. Because the government is saying, oh well if you pastor are not going to marry two homosexuals that's an act of discrimination and therefore we're not going to give you funding now. That's what happens when you give legislative power to the government for morals. So what's the point in all of this? Uh, the point is, do not look to the government to bring change. Don't look to the government to bring change. Look to the power of the gospel. If you're looking to the government to bring change, you do not look to the power of the gospel to bring change. I'm sorry. You have an idol in your life. And the idol is man. The idol 
is man. If your hope is in Trump, if your hope is in Obama, if your hope is in Paul Ryan, if your hope is in Nancy Pelosi, you have an idol. We pray for our leaders. We are subject to their authority. My hope comes from a man from Galilee. Come on. Amen. Mark 12, 17 says, Render or give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give unto God that which is God's. This is when the disciples asked Jesus, should we, ta- should we give our money in taxation? Should we, should we give our money to the government? Jesus is like, whose face is on the coin? It's a picture of Caesar, not a picture of God. Give the money back to Caesar. You give unto Caesar what is Caesar, and you give unto God what is God's. But my question for us today is this. What is Caesar's, and what is God's? I think that many of us have actually given unto Caesar, which is a government. We have given unto Caesar, the government, what is rightfully God's. I want to say that again. I believe that possibly we have given unto Caesar, the government, what is rightfully God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, give unto God what is God's. On my dollar bill, there is a George Washington, sometimes Benjamin Franklin, but not too often. And I give that back to the state. But on those that are broken, those that are poor, those that are weary, those that are in a difficult place, they have Jesus on them. Look, essentially what we have done here is I believe that we've made the government a broker, a means, an intermediary for the power of the gospel. I'm going to say it again. I believe we have used the government as a broker. You and I do not have to get our hands dirty anymore. Oh, there's poor people? Let me just give some taxation. Oh, there's elderly people that need health care? There's elderly people that need retirement. Let's just give our taxation. We can provide for Social Security and health insurance. Which government-wise, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it's not. But your hands are clean. These are things that the scriptures say that the gospel is supposed to take care of. You as a believer, and I as a believer, have the moral responsibility according to the full gospel message to aid the poor. You have the moral responsibility as someone who's been transformed into the image of Messiah to take care of the elderly and the broken and the orphan and the widow. Take care of the needs. Feed the hungry. Close the sick. Give water to the thirsty. But we have said, you know what? Just give me, take a little bit more of my taxes so I don't have to, I don't have to do it. That's a big deal. So what about other more sensitive things? Uh, I'm thinking like abortion or homosexual marriage. Let me have the worship team come on down, please. I need something, a little amen, because I was like, I'm like shaking giving this message. Give me something. All right, thanks. I'm like, oh, this is a tough message. Look, I will publicly decree that abortion is wrong. It's wrong. It shouldn't be done. Okay? But I am telling you, through history, whether you have a law on abortion or not have a law on abortion, women will still have abortions. 
They did it in the 50s, they did it in the 40s. Actually, the Supreme Court case, Roe v. Wade, one of their prevailing decisions was, we are doing this because women are gonna have it anyway, and we need to do it in a, in a we need to at least give them a safe way to do it. And fine, if you wanna vote for people that, that, that are for abortion or against abortion, okay, you, know, you do what you, what you do. But I'm telling you this, righteousness will prevail not when government decrees righteousness. The government is on his shoulders, and when we proclaim the government of Messiah, that's when righteousness will be proclaimed in the land. I'm telling you, abortions will stop in this country when and only when, not when the government says so, but only when the blood of unborn children cries out to your soul to pray for revival in this country. If you spend as much time getting concerned about what's on the news and what legislation there is, if you spent that time on your knees praying, Lord, revival, revival, that woman who's, who's hurting and she's, and she's in a place where she, she feels like she has no hope and she has no place, that, that person who is, is looking to go into gangs to sell drugs because he's got no purpose in his life, Lord God, let revival and righteousness be proclaimed in that place. If you spend as much time on that as we do about who's getting elected next term, there would be true, a true third great awakening in this country. There would be a revival that went through this country that would last for decades. So we need to pray and not look to government to fix the ills of this country. You look to He who has the government upon His shoulders, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who brings hope to the broken, those He who gives richness to the poor. But how can you do that? When we look to D.C. for our salvation, we look to D.C. For, this, for the salvation of my retirement plan, the Social Security. We look to D.C. for the salvation for my welfare check. And maybe you need that. But you need to go to Jesus. You need to engage in the relationship with Him. I'm telling you that there is a better way than governmental earthly systems. John chapter 18, verse 33, says it like this. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, but now, my kingdom is not from here. Jesus came, and if you want to know, like, who would Jesus vote for? Here's the answer. He wouldn't even be contemplating it. Because his kingdom that he came to bring is not of here, it's of heaven. I've come to set free the captives in prison. Not to vote for someone. I've come to proclaim the good news. 
I've come to bring life from the dead. To, to bring down every mountain, to raise up every valley so all men are equal. That's what I've come to do. For now. Oh yeah. For now. Because later, oh later, it's going to be a little bit of a different story. Before we get there, in closing up, Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Titus 3, 1. You are subject to the authorities which are on earth. They lead us, and we are to be subjected to them. And in fact, it says that you are to pray for your leaders. Romans chapter 13, 1. You're not going to like this one. Romans chapter 13, 1. God, God has appointed leaders. Barack Obama, God appointed him to be there. Donald Trump, whether you like him or not, God appointed him to be there. Otherwise, he would not be there. Romans chapter 13, 1. Whether they are in your political wheelhouse or not, God appoints leadership. And then therefore, pray for them. It may not have been God's best choice in any given election, but he has allowed it. And then therefore, you have the responsibility to pray for them. But all of this kind of doesn't matter in, in some regards because Philippians 3.10 says, I am a citizen of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just here passing through. I need to be proclaiming and living kingdom principles. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. My kingdom, Jesus says, my kingdom is here before you. Repent and be saved. He does not talk about Caesar. He does not talk about the Romans. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So in conclusion... You want end to your poverty? You want to have a safety net for your retirement plan? Lord, should I say this? If you feel that your needs are not being met and you're having a hard time financially, Real hard time, like you're relying on the government assistance for all things in your life. I would argue, and you can go to the Lord and come back to me later, I would argue you may be in that situation because you're looking to the government to take care of you, not Jesus. Look to Jesus to provide for you. You can definitely receive insurance. You definitely can receive food stamps. You definitely can receive welfare. But don't look to that envelope that comes in the mail each week or every month to be your saving grace. Look to him. Lord, I know you want me to work. Lord, I know you want to provide me. Lord, I'm asking you to give me a job. Lord, I'm asking you to make me heal so I can go out and work. I'm asking you for favor. I'm asking you to provide for my needs. All of my needs in Christ Jesus. But many of us look here for your salvation your earthly sustenance. From Zion comes my law.
That's where your salvation is. The holy city, the city of peace, Jerusalem. That is the place the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords shall come again. He shall walk through the eastern gate, which you can see at the wall right there. That dome on the rock right there, which is a Muslim artifice, he's going to tra trample down, and the temple of God will be, be built. He shall place his feet on the Mount of Olives, and living water will flow down the Kidron Valley and turn the desert into lush paradise again. Zechariah. Chapter 12, verse 3, says, Kol goyim le Yerushalayim. All nations shall surround Jerusalem. That includes the United States of America. The Lord has told us what the future shall be. The future shall be is that the Gentiles, the nations, shall go up against His bride, Israel, that we as Christians are grafted into. Everyone will forsake her, except for God. And in that moment, scriptures say in Revelation, he will have to speed up that day because he will not be able to find faith on planet Earth. He will come, he will descend, and he will set up his eternal city. My, Lord, my, Lord. my kingdom now is not of this earth. But later he comes with fire in his eyes on a horse coming to wage a war against the enemies of Israel and the enemies of God. And from there he shall rule for a thousand years. And from there there will be the coming down of the new heavens and the new Jerusalem on earth. And we shall worship the King of kings and Lord of lords for all eternity, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is the focus of eternity. That is the focus of the culture and the paradigm of the government of heaven. Not D.C., not Brussels, not London, not New Delhi, not, not uh, Kabul. It is a town called the City of Peace. It is in a town where he says, I have placed my name on her. It's on a town where he says, she is my bride. Although she has turned away and she's looked to others, I'm here waiting for her return. It's part of the reason why we got saved. Paul says in Romans, don't you know, you Gentiles, that in part you are saved so that you can provoke the Jews to jealousy. Do not make fun of Israel and the Jewish people for they have not received me right now. But Romans chapters 11 through 13 says, but in a day they shall return unto me. And at that moment, in that place, there will be life from the dead. There will be worldwide revival when my people, my firstborn people, call upon me again. When does Jesus return? When you, O Israel, not O you, America, but when you, O Israel, say, Baruch Hababa Shemadonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That will be the sounding cry. That will be the song that summons me again to earth. When you, seed of Abraham, call unto me. And that's when the government comes on his shoulders. We have to get our biblical literacy right. With all due respect, I'm an American history teacher, an American citizen. I love this country. I pray for her, but my hope is not in her. My hope is in he. I understand that the future of this country may go up and may go down, but the book of Revelation says what it says. All nations shall come up against God, except for one. 
Israel, one who wrestles with God. They're the only ones. That's the book. That's the book. So Father, I pray right now that we would be encouraged in this word. That we would be encouraged to be like the Bereans and be like Timothy to study to show ourselves approved. I pray that there would be love and understanding as your scriptures say, let us all come together and reason together. Pray that we can come together and we could discuss these things in reason and in love. But Father, I pray if there are those of us who have built up idols in our life, idols of men, idols of women who govern this country, Lord, I may have to submit to them, but I'm governed by you. I may have to listen and, and be obedient to them as long as it's in conjunction with your, with, with your word. But Lord, I stand before the throne room of grace, not before a president, not before a congressman. I stand before the Son of God. And I have to give account for who I am and what I've done and what I've thought. Father, I pray that there be a grace and understanding to be liberated from the toxicity of the news, the toxicity of CNN, the toxicity of Fox, the toxicity of Alex Jones, the toxicity of, of, of Maddo, of all these commentators, that it's toxic. That we will look to life, 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 life being the scriptures, life being your eternal plan. That we put our hope, that we put our retirement, that we would put the proclaiming of the gospel into the hands of he that matters. God incarnate. Amen? Amen. I don't know how to close on that one. So we're just going to worship. But if you have any questions, I know it's a sensitivity, please come talk to me. I want to be able to talk these things out. If you took anything from today, I would say the punchline is this. Your hope is to be found in nothing else but Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Amen. Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Amen.